owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. So uh, teaches St. Paul today in this letter to the Romans that we're going through. And uh, you'll see in the bulletin that uh, today in Poland, a whole family was to be beatified as martyrs. Uh, this family, the Ulmer family, had taken in eight Jews uh, during the Nazi occupation, when, and they knew full well that if they were caught, they too would be killed. And of course, they were found out, and the, these Jews were, were taken out and shot. And then the family uh, suffered the same fate, being a Catholic family. And they were also, it was a um, persecution of the faith too, because the Nazis were not tolerant of the Catholic faith either. So we really hold them as martyrs because of the heroic love that they showed. And of course, noticeable in this, uh, remarkable in this story is how the woman, the mother was pregnant at the time. And uh, during the process of martyrdom, she went into labor and delivered the child. And so that child uh, died as well. So even uh, in, in, in the womb and transitioning from the womb to the world, that child is honored as a martyr too. Yesterday, we, the church honored St. Peter Claver, or Claver, um, who died in the year 1654, age 74. Uh, he was from Barcelona in Spain and uh, joined the, the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus. And um, it was a brother Jesuit who uh, pointed out to him that perhaps God was calling him to go to the Americas, uh, so he did, and uh, there completed his formation and was ordained a priest, and took upon himself the title Slave of the Slaves, because there was the slave trade happening, these boatloads, shiploads of slaves were coming from Africa and Europe, via Europe, and um, in terrible conditions, people there were so packed together that many died on the, on the way. The journey took some months. And so the, the, those who survived were surviving amongst the, the corpses of fellow slaves. So you can imagine what the conditions were. And St. Peter went straight into uh, the holes of those ships to minister to those uh, poor people, uh, spiritually and physically, bringing them oil and wine to heal their wounds uh, and also... Uh, spiritual help as well, and baptizing many, baptized hundreds of thousands apparently. But it wasn't just that he wanted to quickly baptize them. He took care of them afterwards as well when these slaves were eventually in the places where they were destined to work. He would go among them and attend to them and continue that Christian formation so that they would grow in their faith. And eventually he died of a disease that he caught and uh, suffered mistreatment from one of the slaves that he had treated so well, and just accepted it as, as uh, his just deserts, as it, were, as it were. These are just a couple of extraordinary examples of living the commandment that sums up all others. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in the reading of Mass yesterday, as I shared with those who were there, we had the prophecy of Isaiah in the traditional Latin Mass, which uh, read as follows, share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see someone naked, cover him, and do not despise your own flesh. I was very struck by those words, do not despise your own flesh. The poor, the homeless, the naked, anyone in need, and all of us indeed, are of one flesh. We share the same flesh. We're made from the same dust of the earth. We're created by God. We're enlivened by the same breath that he, he breathed into us. We're made in his image. Everybody is of the same flesh in you, uh, as you and I. 
And to despise another person, whoever they are, uh, is to despise our own flesh. Um, the homeless are very close to us sometimes, and sometimes they come very close, as you noticed when you came in, perhaps. And uh, maybe you thought different things, I don't know. Um, but to never despise them, to see them as your brothers and sisters, the same flesh, uh, and therefore we have to love them. Uh, they're all there for a reason, a traumatized, uh, all kinds of reasons we cannot perhaps under comprehend, but they are our flesh. You know, the paradox of social media is that we're all connect, so connected uh, with one another all around the globe <clears throat> in this network of interconnection. And yet people have never been so isolated. And so, you know, we've been becoming this uh, society of, of atomized individuals, each one in his or own, on his or her own little island. And we know that sometimes those online interactions, we think we're connecting, but in fact, they're only interactions with ourselves. Uh, they, they, they are so empty of meaning sometimes. And this is a characteristic of society today, that we no longer see each other as our own flesh, but as just distinct individuals, maybe through this pretend connection of the internet, but not truly connected with one another. That atomization of society is defined as the tendency for society to be made up of a collection of self-interested and largely self-sufficient individuals operating as separate atoms. Therefore, all social values, institutions, developments, and procedures evolve entirely out of the interests and actions of the individuals who inhabit any particular society. The individual is the atom of society, and therefore the only true object of concern and analysis. And it tends to be the individual in, in himself who considers himself or herself uh, the, the, uh, the, end, the being and end all of everything. Is, we need that, once again, interconnection and sense that we are all of the same flesh. We're one with one another. And this is how the life of Christ, the Christian community should be. There should not be these atomized individuals just inward looking on ourselves, just orbiting around our own, you know, our own self and having every, everyone else do the same. It should be de very different among us and uh, our relationships with others. And St. Paul today echoes Jesus' response to the man who asked, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Decalogue, those ten commandments, the Catechism tells us, must be interpreted in the light of this twofold a single commandment of love, the fullness of the law. And as we heard today, the Apostle St. Paul reminds us of this. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And St. Paul mentions some of the commandments because, uh, as examples, and he says many others as well, not to commit adultery, not to kill, not to steal, not to covet. And we can all live these, these better, particularly insofar as we help others to become saints as well. For example, the coveting. Sometimes, you know, it's not just coveting someone else's wife or coveting someone else's good fortune or the gifts, 
but it's actually wishing that others would have the gifts that we would like ourselves. St. Louis de Montfort, in that little book on the secret of the rosary, says, if we sincerely ask God that our neighbor may have the very same blessings that we ourselves stand in need of, it goes without saying that we will give up all hatred, quarreling, and jealousy. Because we will rejoice that others have gifts that we, we do not have. And we all want them to have the gifts that we would so love to have ourselves um, because we know that our, our Lord will give us others. And, uh, and not to steal. I mean, everything we have really, in a sense, belongs to others. There's a whole, many, many goods left for you to browse in, from the rummage sale yesterday in the parish center. I hope you do. Um, but there were some poor people who came yesterday and we found, you know, they couldn't afford the price that was on it. And it was so nice to be able to let some of them, especially some, those who were expecting children, as a few were when they came in, to let them have these things at pretty much, you know, knock, knock down price. They were given to us anyway. So they don't belong to us. So it's our mission to help those who are in need because they are the same flesh as you and me. They're, they're, our, they're our family, whether they come here or not uh, as our parish community. So we need to help one another, brothers and sisters of Christ, to become saints. And our Lord gives us another means today, which is this means of correcting one another, fraternal correction. We're all together helping each other to be saints. Sometimes it's necessary to correct a brother or sister, but not because they annoy us. For, for we should all be ready to suffer injustice for the sake of the kingdom but only insofar as it's an obstacle to that person's sanctity or maybe they're an obstacle to the sanctity of other people. Then we have a duty after good discernment to correct that person, first of all, alone. And then if they do not listen and we still think it's important, discreetly, just with one or two others. And then thirdly, well, maybe we need to bring it to the church. And only then if that person refuses to listen, to treat him or her like a Gentile or a tax collector, but in all other respects to be of, of our flesh, united with them in love. You know, St. Paul elsewhere in the first letter to the Corinthians laments the fact that Christians take their causes to the civil courts. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, um, 6 when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? I say to this, this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Winning a brother through correction is a very beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful thing I hope you would find when you are ministered to in this way, when someone has the love and maybe the courage to offer you a, a little helping hand in a changing a direction and bringing to your attention, my attention, something that is an obstacle to my holiness or the holiness of others. And the forgiveness that goes with it, is, there's great peace and healing when, 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 that, when the humble recognition of a fault goes with the forgiveness that, that's offered. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church comments on this uh, in, this, uh, in commenting on this uh, reading from St. Paul today, when it says, there is no limit or measure to this essentially divine forgiveness. Whether one speaks of sins, debts, 
We are always debtors. Owe no one anything except to love one another, as we heard uh, from St. Paul today. We can never love one another enough. We're always going to be in debt to others in the amount that we do not love, yet love them unconditionally as, as Christ loved us. And the Catechism continues, the communion, of the, the communion of the Holy Trinity is the source and criterion of truth in every relationship. It is lived out in prayer, above all in the Eucharist. And it finishes quoting St. Cyprian of Carthage, very early father of the church, died in the year 258. So a very early witness to this Christian teaching. God does not accept the sacrifice of a sower of disunion, but commands that he depart from the altar so that he may first be reconciled with his brother. For God can be appeased only by prayers that make peace. To God, the better offering is peace, brotherly concord, and a people made one in the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray that this unity of the Trinity is the unity that dwells in the midst of this beautiful Christian community uh, where love dwells and where each one of us seeks to outdo the other in loving because we all know that we, we owe one another. We are in debt to one another in the love that we should show one another. Just a little postscript. At the end of Mass today, Ariana Calvarius will receive a blessing on the occasion of her 15th birthday in accordance with the Mexican tradition, the quinceañera. Uh, so just be a simple blessing, and she'll make a, a kind of commitment as well to live a, a good life as a young woman. Um, so uh, it's, it's a delight to have this done very simply uh, in, in, the, in the Sunday Mass today. Already other girls have had their quinceañera blessing uh, this year and done some in the past. And I've, I've, I've come to appreciate what a beautiful custom it is. As we bless a young, wo- a young woman who passes from being a girl to a woman, uh, and all that that, uh, uh, that, that that carries with it, all the potential that that carries with it, that she might live a good, pure life as a young woman until she, uh, until she meets her husband, if that's her vocation, so that she may offer him herself as a chaste offering uh, to him uh, as the church offered to, to Christ. Um, but she may have another calling as well, to be a, a, a bride of Christ uh, in the religious life. Who knows? But we ask... Uh, the Lord's uh, guidance and Our Lady's protection over Ariana today as she receives her quinceañera blessing. That'll be at the end of Mass.